Welcome to Axel Arigato Talks, a podcast which celebrates the power of community and memorable experiences through insightful stories and connects listeners, that would be you, to people who are making seismic waves in their field. I'm your host, Tom Pryor, and I encourage you to make yourself at home here on the Axel Arigato Talks channel. You'll find new, inspiring conversations uploaded every fortnight, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a beat. On this episode of Axel Arigato Talks, we meet Gracie, the London-based singer-songwriter who's making waves in the industry. Having honed her craft at the prestigious Brit School, which has seen the likes of Adele and Amy Winehouse come through its doors, Gracie has carved her own path and has already had a string of charting hits. Listen in to hear about her creative process, balancing pop music with downtime and much more. Gracie, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. Welcome to Axel Arigato Talks. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So you've just got back from three weeks in LA. Yes, it was so much fun. So was it a bit of business and pleasure out there? Because when we were speaking to your lovely team before they said you were in and out of the studio, did you get a bit of sunshine at least? Yeah, it was It was a lot of work. It was just a lot of like, well, I say work. It was just like la 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 into a microphone really. And just having a good old time, like meeting people. Yeah, just I went out there for like specific kind of work reason and then ended up just having a good old time. Went on a couple of hikes, named a couple of dogs. It was great. Named a couple of dogs? As in ones you found, you thought, this is going to be Alfred. 100%. So this is like a fun new game for anyone listening. If you're on a walk, especially if you're in LA, because everyone has a dog, and you walk past like a dog you both then have to come up with the best name suited to the dog and whoever names it the best wins it's a great game i'm 100 percent here for that game but i've got a few questions about this game once you've named the dog do you then have to trail it to make sure the personality matches the name or do you just let it go off into the ether i think that might be like the next step up i think that's when the game we sell it for like a card game or we like we kind of make a profit of it like this is just like the very beginnings of what is to be an incredible classic game so i just got the elevator pitch i love it so you were in and out of the studio what were you working on what can you tell us i was just writing loads of songs and uh i feel like because of covid I um, wasn't able to go to LA and like meet people for so long. So um, it was really nice to kind of go out there and meet people that I've worked remotely with and just kind of get fresh ears and vibes and stuff to, you know, I think London can feel a bit stale sometimes. So yeah, it was really good to get out. I hear that with the remote thing, because obviously for so long people were working remotely. So you only saw people from the shoulders up. So when you actually meet them in real life, you're like, you're, in, you know, I spoke to people and I was like, I can't believe how tall you are. Or they just had a completely different energy. Totally. It's like seeing someone on Instagram versus seeing someone in the flesh. It's just like, who knows? You don't know if you're going to be catfished or not. So each day was a <laughs> new adventure. So you grew up in Brighton, which is one of my favourite places to spend summer days. What was it like growing up there? Yeah, no, it was, it was amazing. Like Brighton... The energy there is just quite different to anywhere else in the country. Like, everyone feels pretty chilled, especially on a sunny day. It's my favourite place in the whole world. Like, yeah, it's just, it's really chilled. I think 
some of my least fond memories would be queuing up outside, like waiting to go in clubbing for the first time. That was maybe not my favourite situation. As much as we do love the seafront, windy at night after you've just spent an hour doing your makeup before going into a club, not the cutest situation. Not the one, not the one. And I want to take it back a little bit because you graduated from Brit School, which isn't too far where I grew up in Purley. So Brit was always like this kind of elusive. I love Purley. You know Purley? Yeah, I, I had to like go on the train past it every single day. It's where the train starts slowing down. And I was like, Purley, gorgeous, gorgeous. I'm approaching my school. Gorgeous, gorgeous girls live in Purley. But Brit School just for me seemed like this hit making machine. I mean, the people that have come out of there, as you obviously know, like, you know, Adele, Amy Winehouse. So was it like an episode of High School Musical or Fame where people are just like doing cartwheels and dancing down the corridor? It kind of depends because like I went to Brit for like musical (laughs) theatre. So I feel like if you're asking me, then yeah, because everyone in musical theatre is absolutely extra and thinks like, you know, they want to live their dreams. If you want to tap dance in the corridor, you can do that. You'll just get absolutely kind of (laughs) evil-eyed by the rest of the school. And I think for the most part, no. Like, there's definitely, like, a really good kind of energy in Brit. Because it's basically the only state-funded performing arts school. Everyone's there because they want to do it. It's not because, you know, necessarily, like, they're really rich and they can just, like, entertain the idea of doing it it's like no if you're going to Brit you're like really really wanting to go so it's a really special place and I'm really glad I went to be fair regardless of the fact I didn't do music and so tell me about this xenomania which is something I read which I think you were the age of 16 when you started was it like a songwriting collective yeah xenomania is basically like where like Girls Aloud kind of was and like all the kind of OG UK 2010 bangers originated. Like we're talking like Scouting for Girls, like all that kind of stuff. So it was like, it was really great. Um, But I kind of started working there. So when I was at Brit, I like was uploading stuff to SoundCloud. Like, and when I say stuff, I mean like the worst possible awful demos that I recorded on the floor of my bathroom. And for some reason, they were picked up by this bloke, Brian Higgins, who ran Xenomania. And he was like, come down to the studio. Like, I want to kind of meet you and and kind of audition you. And at this point, I'm like, I'm going to be songwriter. I'm going to be seer. It's going to be great. And I got there and I realised I was auditioning for a girl band. <laughs> no. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing more I'd, I'd like to do than be a Cheryl Cole. Live my dream, promise, do you know what I mean? Oh, walking on Primrose all day. Do you know what I mean? But it just wasn't where I was at at the, at the time. I was just, like, absolutely there to be a songwriter. I was there to be, like, serious. So it's just so weird because this house is, like, this massive house in the middle of the countryside. So I'd get the train from East Croydon pop myself down after school on a Friday and just basically write just melodies over tracks for like three hours. And I got paid like 70 quid. And I was like, this is amazing. What? Wait, this was at 16? This is at 16. I was like, this is better than any job I could ask for. Like someone's paying me to do what I'm doing in my spare time. 
Okay, that's amazing. So it sounds like a real boot camp. It's like the pre-judges' houses on X Factor. This is where they go and make it all. That's exactly what it is, yeah. <laughs> so then you you went to Brit for musical theatre, but you had this appetite and obviously this skill for music and songwriting and melodies. So after Xenomania, what was the trajectory for you? I think Xenomania was happening just as I was supposed to be like applying for uni and like figuring out what my next step was. And I just didn't really have a plan. Like Xenomania was all fun and games, but like it wasn't sustainable and stuff, I guess. So I kind of just ended up towards the end of my time at Brit, like not paying attention to what I was there for, which is supposed to be musical theatre. And I just started writing every day after school, like going to sessions with people outside of Xenomania. So like producers, like I kind of met on SoundCloud or like kind of friends of friends who had beats that I'd go and like write to. And like kind of from that, I ended up signing like my first songwriting deal when I left school at 18. I remember like my tutor thinking I wasn't doing anything. And then like when I told her, I was like, nah, miss, like, don't worry. I've signed my deal. I promise I'm going to be all right. The only time she was like, okay, you, you should still apply to uni there. And I was like, yes. Apply for uni for what? If you've got a record deal, what else do you need? I think teachers just feel like it's hard to take the risk with it. It's easier to know that your, your student's going off to study somewhere else instead of like the 90th you know, girl that wants to be a singer. Do you know what I mean? So I do understand the concern. Totally. And then at least they know they've done their work. Right, exactly. So let's jump back to lockdown a little bit. We spoke about being remote before. So what is this about you losing your voice as you're about to launch your EP in 2019? It was basically from doing these sessions, like I would was using my voice like 24-7 because I was like going from, you know, singing in school to then like going to the studio and from like six till like you know, really late and then staying on my manager's kind of sofa and then going back to school and blah, blah, blah. So I was using my voice like so much in like the worst way. And I'd done it for about four years. And I'd like, you know, done the whole works, kind of found my label, ended up like figuring out what I wanted to say as an artist. And just as I was about to release, like just before my second single, I I found out I had vocal nodules. And I've always had a husky voice. Like, I'll always have a husky voice. That's just, like, my natural voice. But um, it was at the point where, like, I couldn't even, like, speak or sing. And, um, yeah, I was just basically told, like, if I didn't get it done, I just wouldn't be able to, to sing or do my job. Like, the scariest thing, especially when you've just kind of left school, being, like, you know, the big one, too. Like, I'm going to do music. It's fine. And then, like, oh, no, she can't do music because she's literally lost her instrument. She's literally holding up a chalkboard and writing notes on it. Yeah. Oh, she's literally got the, the phone on her. Like, she's talking to Siri. Siri's her voice. So it's chaos. It must have thrown everything into chaos, as you're saying. And and what was that surgery like? Because the only time I've heard about, is it vocal nodes, you said? Yeah, like nodules, yeah. Nodules, that's it. It's Adele. That's the only other time. Wasn't she at the peak of her situation and then she got struck down by that? She did. To be honest, quite a lot of singers have kind of had various I think it's like nodules is like very different to like having a sore voice as well like I know Del has had it like Sam Smith recently Becky Hill as well like she kind of messaged me because she was just about to go through her surgery as well and it's just like the scariest 
thing. It's like, imagine being told, like, the one thing you think you're, like, passionate and good at, you can't do anymore. But, yeah, the actual surgery surgery was really quick and easy. And the hardest thing was just staying silent for, like, two months. It was also a time where, like, I didn't want to, like, tell anyone it was happening. My kind of team were like, oh, like, post on Instagram, like, tell everyone what's going on. And I just, like was pretending nothing had happened because I was just so fragile that if I'd... I didn't like the idea of people being like, oh, it's going to be okay. I'm like, you don't know it's going to be okay yet. Saying that is only making me feel pitied and I just couldn't be bothered. So, I mean, the only thing that was annoying for my team was, you know, you've just released your first single. You're supposed to be, like, active and, like, doing stuff. And I was just, like, dead silent. Couldn't do anything, couldn't go to events, like... Um, and if I did go to events, I was there in absolute silence. So, yeah, a bit chaotic, really, Tom. Very chaotic. Um, and I want to talk to you about Alone in My Room, which came out over lockdown, and I couldn't think of a more apt title than Alone in My Room. I think everybody was at the time. First of all, what was lockdown like for you? Um, I'm not going to lie, the first lockdown, I actually look back with great fondness I quite loved it oh yeah I quite loved it I maybe I'm the only one but like well firstly I was like living with my family last minute decided to go home and then couldn't come back to London because we went down for Mother's Day and then we just stayed <laughs> we just stayed happy happy Mother's Day mum I'm back and <laughs> yeah so, so it was like, quite nice because like I never thought I was gonna like live with my brother again or like hang out with my family and like the sun was beaming on one of my songs was starting to kind of take off in a way I just didn't expect like my song with 220 kid was like going up in the the charts and I was like what's happening like this doesn't make any sense so I was having a good old time to be fair in the first lockdown the lockdowns to come they got a bit tricky I'm not gonna lie to you they were a bit not as fun it dragged on I mean, it was obviously different for different people, but I think it was kind of this echo chamber of many things. Lots of things happened during lockdown, good and bad. But in terms of like creativity and like artistic output, tons of artists like yourself. And we've had Jodie Harsh is on this series as well, who released My House, which took off during lockdown. So it was the perfect kind of like echo chamber for creativity where people were just dying and gagging for something to do other than watch normal people or killing eve totally that's definitely something i found like i just became way more creative and i thought it was going to be the opposite i mean i made an entire music video with my like video guy remotely through zoom and kind of it just made you more creative like you had to kind of think outside the box and i kind of i enjoyed doing it myself but i also really enjoyed watching other artists do it like i thought charlie did an incredible job like just yeah it was amazing seeing like other artists kind of working around the problem in the same way yeah it was testament to to people making the most of a bad time for sure i want to ask you about any learnings or advice for aspiring musicians so it's it's been in your blood for a while as we've discussed and i think there's going to be a lot of people out there who maybe like yourself started a musical theater and transitioned into something else but as you've had such first-hand experience in the industry from a young age, is there any sort of pearls of wisdom that you would impart? I think my main thing is, like, 
especially as like a, a kind of a young girl or a young female in the music industry, like you just have to be like really assured of yourself and remember that like music is subjective. So if you think something's sick, like you just back it. Obviously there's a line, but like just you you can back yourself more than you think. I, I think like if if an 18 year old, I was working with an 18 year old and they thought something was sick, I wouldn't just because I've been working for like four years now be like, no, you haven't, you don't know anything. I think just value your own opinion is what I'd say. But it's a learning curve, isn't it? It takes a while. Yeah, totally. Um, 100%. I want to talk about Fragile as well while we've got a bit more time. Fragile is um, your EP. Tell us about that. My EP Fragile kind of sprung out of nowhere. I didn't expect to write it. I just was oversensitive, heartbroken little girly, and it just flowed out of me like lover. It was amazing. I was like two days after the Brits, I'd just been nominated for Brew and I was like, what? And I should have been like living my best life. I should have been so happy. And I was just like really sad. And um, I was trying to like kind of mask this, you know, I'm fine, like everything's fine, which I always seem to do. And then I went in the studio with like a couple of my friends and then just had a little bit of a mini breakdown. And in the process wrote What a Waste, which ended up being the first lead single and then from that point onward the whole EP was written within like two weeks or like finished like sad song I'd had for ages and same with can't be friends like I'd had those songs written ironically from a last past relationship and I just finished them off uh, with a bow from what I learned from this one I love that so once you popped you couldn't stop it was just coming out of you 100% it's like a girl on a night out you break the seal you're back in the toilet every four minutes. So that's kind of how the EP came together quite nicely. I love that. And there's only so many cheesy chips you can have before it's like, you know what, I need to call it a night. Right? And then you call the Uber and you just cry your way home. Off she, off she goes in her carriage. Off into the sunset. Oh, my God. What was the Brits like? Because I have spoken to a few people that have gone and have been nominated and, and some have a good time and some find the whole experience really bizarre because... It's something that they've aspired to for so long and then it's suddenly here and it almost doesn't feel real. And as you were saying, this was a peak in your career and personal life, but something was off. What was what was the experience like for you? That's actually a really good way of putting it. It does just feel a bit surreal. And I think for my year as well, like last year, it was even weirder because obviously it was like the first test event. So it was like you've gone from literally like the year before losing my voice and not even being able to speak to then having a top 10, to then the next year being next to Taylor Swift. And you're just like, what the hell is happening? (laughs) But you know what? I just allowed myself to be as fangirly and gassed as possible because I felt like, basically, I got out on the red carpet and my manager was like, stay calm. And as soon as I opened my mouth for the first red carpet interview, I just went stupid. I told her I was wearing a thong. I was just like overexcited and then I was like I can definitely try and be a gorgeous pop star girly very composed but that's just not really how I'm feeling I'm feeling excited I'm feeling like I want to fangirl over the fact that little mix are three meters away and that's what I did and I just recorded the whole thing 
the imposter syndrome was real, but I embraced it. That is the way to do it. There's, there's no point going into it cosplaying as someone who's like, yeah, I should be here. It's like you've been growing up and listening to these, you're, you know, like you're saying, three metres from Jade Thurwall is a guaranteed good time. So why not embrace it? Do you know what I mean? Go and tell us she looks gorgy. And like, if Harry Styles is honestly on the opposite table, do you think I'm not going to pick up my train, pick up my little dress train, and off she goes? I was up like a flash. I was up like a flash. <laughs> and I had to, because I had to. I had to go and tell him that his album was making me pop and lock in the garden. I had to. What did he say? Oh, I just went up and I was like, I'm obsessed with your album. I'm obsessed with this outfit. You're amazing. And then just had a, like a nice little chat. And he was the best. And obviously gorgeous. I was like, oh, haven't seen a face like this before. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. And so you're based in London now. This series is going to go out worldwide. Axel here is based between Gothenburg and Sweden and London, but this is London's our main hub, at least for my side. What do you love to do in London? So, for example, today, you're at your flat in London, right, today? I am. It's a gorgy day. What do you do on a gorgy day like this to just really soak it all up? Oh, gorgy days like this. Well, firstly, I don't stay in my basement flat. Other than sit and chat to me. I love I love sitting and chatting to you on Zoom. It is my fave. Um, I I love a cheeky, a cheeky coffee and a cheeky walk around. I like going to Hampstead Heath. I actually have a residency there, a crying bench in Hampstead Heath. So sometimes I'll mosey on up to Hampstead Heath and have a little sit and a cry. And... Obviously, I'm playing my dog game as as dogs are riding past. I'm just like sitting there, snotty, and just shouting like Bruce <laughs> or like Michelle um, as these dogs kind of ride past. So that's kind of a day in the life. <laughs> I love it. And for someone visiting for the first time, what would be your go-to? Please don't say the London Eye. Oh, um, then I need a minute to think about my next answer. <laughs> no, but can I just say that I did the London Eye for the first time in the summer and it was so scary. Why is it so high? It's so high. It's like ridiculous. I also wore green trousers and had to get a picture in front of this green screen and I was a floating torso. Oh my God. I mean, it, it's incredibly high. And it feels like a glorified Ferris wheel. Also, it's called the Coca-Cola wheel now, which I think is so rogue. Oh, it's not. It's not, is it? It is. Yeah, because the people that designed it, they had to buy it to keep it there. And Coca-Cola came along and thought, do you know what? I think this is for us. So they bought it. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know. Well, you know what? Go on then, Coke. If I could buy the wheel and call it the Gracie wheel, I would do it. So go off, Coke. We appreciate you. We're going to start a GoFundMe for that right now. I think so. I think so. Um, no, I don't know. what If someone was coming into London, I would suggest to go to... Um, oh, Shrek World. Where is Shrek World and why haven't I been? Oh, just opposite? Just opposite. So Shrek World would be number one on my list. So really, you could do a double whammy. You could do Shrek World and then just go get terrified on the um, Ferris wheel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dream day. So last question, um, you are going to be touring with Anne-Marie, which is incredibly exciting. Tell me about how you first met Anne-Marie and where people can catch you on tour. Yeah, I mean, I 
love Anne-Marie. I've been writing quite a lot for her new album. And let me tell you, that new album is something else. That is going to be crazy. She is so talented. I'm like, first and foremost, a massive stan. And I think if I wasn't in music and I just randomly heard her as well, I would be a super fan at the front of the gig. So I feel like very honoured to be opening for her. But yeah, I first met her like ages ago. I mean, we've had like the same management for quite a long time. I just see Amory as like my big sister in the music industry and we share a mom. So it's just, it's going to be a really nice tour. And also Bill and Ted, who I've done a song with and they kind of produced, helped produce the um, Don't Need Love single. Like they're coming on tour with us and we're all just like really good mates. So it should be amazing. Like I can't wait. I can't remember all the dates or like where we're playing, but um, I think we're doing like Leeds, Newcastle, Dublin, obviously London. We're doing Wembley. Oh my God. Ah! So that'll be cool. No, the home of the Spice Girls. You have to come, Tom. Oh, I'll be there, front row. Well, Gracie, it's been an absolute joy and a pleasure to talk to you. Honestly, it's made my day. Aw, thanks, Tom. Thank you for finding the time. You're a babe and um i'll see you very soon obsessed thank you so much um you're also a babe and your instagram is absolutely hilarious <laughs>